You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. A new chapter this morning in the battle against Ebola. Nickelback are back. The multi-platinum band has just announced a new album and a North American summer. Until you see the flaming butthole, you ain't seen nothing yet. Here's the thing. Think it's bad. Something good for ya. All right, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Something Good For You podcast, where the two of us sift through the bullshit to try to find a little something good to give you each and every single week. I am one of your two co-hosts, Alex Stiff, and sitting across from me, as always, is the one and only Captain Nunn. Go balls. <laughs> what? That's my uh, Tennessee uh, college football bullshit. Oh, okay. I'll send, I'll I'll listen balls. To a, I listen to a, a wrestling podcast, and anytime like uh, one of the the co-hosts uh, opens a beer, they're just like, "Roll Tide." Oh, Pop got the it. Miller light okay. open. Okay, I feel you. Dude, I was just tied. <laughs> oh, I know. And he's an Alabama boy. He's one of those guys that he does a. Uh, I've told Alex about this before. He does. Uh, he's a more. He's a real estate agent, and he talks with everybody that's in like the inside business of wrestling, and he talks shit with them. Like, what really happened, motherfucker? Yeah. Who bucked? Who booked this shit? He goes like, "Oh, that was Dusty Rhodes and yada 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 and shit." No, like that. no, it's cool with the intro. I just, I didn't, I just didn't catch the reference, so I was just lost. I mean, that I just wanted to cool, pop a beer on the mic. The fact that it's a real estate agent, I know. Well, he's married to one of Ric Flair's daughters too, so that's kind of his in in that industry. And with us this week is bassist extraordinaire for the Grave Rollers, and now Super Jet, the one and only Tiki. Thank you. Yes, sir. All around, uh, all. Uh, Jack of all trades, musician, gearhead, radio yeah, personality. Yeah, because for a bassist, you have a shit ton of guitars, and you actually oh, yeah. know your shit. It's like, yeah. we, we, you came over, like, let's see, uh, two hours ago, and we've done nothing but talk gear the yeah, entire time. Yeah, we basically time. just bullshitted and talked Talking around. gear and drinking beer. <laughs> oh, God. Talking gear and drinking there's beer. Your, that's there, my, there's that's, your Toby Keith fucking uh, episode title. <laughs> That's my epitaph right there. <laughs> no, that probably will be the episode title. I'll probably listen back to this and go, yep. <laughs> we'll talk no gear whatsoever. <laughs> oh, we probably wind up will in the end anyway because we'll be... That's like when uh, Chris and I started hanging out, when he, whenever he would come over to Steve's to do Grey Rollers tracks, we would yeah. go down all kinds of rabbit holes with that kind of deal. Oh, yeah. Oh, and, that's, yeah. and that's why I feel like we'll wind up diving into that a little bit because... Rarely do we talk about what we're going to do beforehand, but something we were kind of talking about before the show started, and we were like, oh, shit, that'd be good for the actual episode, which is favorite position to be in, you know, as a musician, or like the atmosphere, rather. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) The atmosphere, (laughs) meaning like practice, live, studio, and of course, we'll probably wind up talking about gear when we talk about studio shit. Well, yeah, that's a good idea, though, as far as like uh, seeing where you would prefer to be with the amount of experience that all three of us have yeah yeah because all three of us definitely have varying degrees of experience tiki i definitely say you have the most experience just for the amount of different bands and stuff you've been in cap you've had different experiences than i've had you've been in more bands that have played more of a wider range of things right i've been in fewer bands but those bands i've been in have done tours right so it's like i've had road experience he's had more different band experience absolutely and you've had more overall experience so kind of coming from the those That's perspectives. That's a relative term, yeah. Well, I mean, I'm sure, hell, let's kind of get into that. I mean, we you have a shit ton of guitars, so did you actually even start out on bass, or did you start out on guitar? No, I definitely started out on guitar. Yeah. I definitely did. So I'm sure some of those bands you played guitar in, I'm sure you guys toured. 
Well, uh, when I, I I was a guitar player in uh, Tommy Ray and the Ray Guns. Definitely heard of that. And we went, uh, we did a short tour that took us from North Carolina to New York and back down. Let's say that's a tour. And yeah, it's a tour. <laughs> but uh, you were on the road for at least a week, weren't you? Uh, well, it was a long weekend. Let's just put it oh, that way. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. And never how, mind. How, however, you learn how, a lot about your bandmates on a weekend like that. However, <laughs> however, with that, we would go out to Kansas City occasionally and play a show. Yeah. I we did you, that about three years in a row. I noticed you uh, post about going to like barbecue fest in uh, Kansas City whenever like on Facebook and stuff like mm-hmm. that. It's just a, uh, is that a regular destination for you? Just on the it, regular anyway? It is. It is. Um, the. <laughs> So actually, uh, it's a little bit of a humorous story, and just kind of gives you the, where I get my mentality from. Okay, my I uh, when I moved to Charlotte, I had lived in Kansas City for a while, oh, okay. and, and I was from Eastern North Carolina. And when I moved to Charlotte, I could not find, forgive me, everyone, I could not find good barbecue because oh. what I was used to was you're talking to a Memphis boy. Was, I know was uh, yeah, Memphis. <laughs> Oh, 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 he's taking oh. out his headphones. He's getting ready. <laughs> Bring it on. You know, I haven't had Kansas City barbecue yet, so I can't say anything. Any, anyway, when I when I went out there, I, I kind of a naivety of mine. But uh, when I was when I was growing up, barbecue was a specific thing. Okay. It was pulled pork mm-hmm. with a heavily vinegared sauce. Right. Okay. okay? So tomato based in Memphis. <laughs> I like and see and here's the I thing. Like vinegar what, based, what is it for North it, Carolina? It's supposed to be mustard based, isn't it? No, that's South Carolina. That's some bullshit they throw up yeah, down there. I was, South I, was, I, was, I was actually about to say that and I was but what is North Carolina? I want to say North Carolina's vinegar too. Isn't North it? North Carolina well, it's vinegar, There's it's a not hint. mustard. Yeah. I know what uh, Midwood Smokehouse has the, a slight vinegar uh on top of the mustard uh, yeah. okay. uh hint okay. to it. There's several different styles. In eastern North Carolina, your your barbecue sauce is basically salt, pepper, vinegar, and hot pepper flakes. Yeah. That's it. Mm-hmm. And then as you slowly move east, like once you get to Raleigh, they start putting a little bit of ketchup or tomato in it. Yeah. And then when you get here, it's more of a – it. it's very similar, but I, I hate to say it. I think they add sugar to it, which oh, yeah. to me is – Sacrilege. <laughs> it's not sacrilege, but I want to taste the the hard vinegar and the flavor of the pork. You want to taste the meat, not the heat. That's right. <laughs> and I love vinegar Damn based it, barbecue. Bobby. <laughs> yeah. Yes. We have another one. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> no, and, and then man, I totally agree. Hell, we can make this a fucking food episode if we're going down the barbecue route. Oh god, we can go but on no, for man, hours. I totally feel you. I don't like a super sugary sauce on my barbecue. That's that's one of the things I tell people. They're like, well, you guys go out to Kansas City and compete in the barbecue competition. I'd love to have your barbecue. And I tell them, I said, I would never make the shit I make in Kansas City for somebody here. Yeah. Because let me guess that? the special the let me guess the special seasonings and all of that and what you do you the way you smoke it and everything that's how you get the flavor. Well, yeah, yeah, the smoking gets the flavor, but Kansas City is very much what I would call a sauce town. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the only way I can describe it because nobody from Kansas City is going to listen to this is they like uh, 
They're like candied meat. Okay. So they like a lot of sugar on their stuff. It's a very sweet sauce. Right. It's all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I mean, having done competitions, the one thing that, this is a funny story. Uh, I was in Lexington, Mm -hmm. Lexington, North Carolina, home of quote unquote, North Carolina barbecue. (laughs) And I made, I made vinegar based pulled pork. Yeah. Every comment I got, I, I scored terrible. The pork was awesome, but they every, every comment I got back was, it tastes like vinegar. And my thought was, where the fuck do you think you are? Yeah, right? <laughs> you know, I mean, you are in North Carolina. And that's probably, honestly, the vinegar base is probably my favorite barbecue. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Be, I, well, the nice thing about it is it what it does is that... Uh, it mellows out the flavor of the pork a little mm-hmm. bit, and then it gives you some heat. Yes, that's I like it. it. I love it on brisket. Yes. Vinegar on brisket is mm-hmm. the best. I think the only time I like a, a sweeter sauce is like if it's ribs. I'll take a little bit of sweeter yeah, sauce yeah, like yeah, on yeah, ribs. Yeah. But if we're talking like pulled pork and you know stuff like that, oh no, nah, don't give me that. And and the weird here's the weird thing about ribs. Everybody loves that fall off the bone. Yeah, stuff that technically is overcooked yep. in competition. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my brother-in-law does the ribs. I just do the brisket and the pork butts. But uh, he's developed a recipe that, you know, they take a bite and it pulls off easy. Yep. And that's what it is. Yeah. But it doesn't pull everything off the bone. No. It's supposed to have a little bit of give. You're not supposed to be able to just like not even be able to pick it up. You're supposed to be able to pick it up, put it on your plate, and just at that point be able to pull. Yeah. Take a bite. And then you can like pry the bone out. Yeah. And when you pry the bone out, it comes off clean. (laughs) The funniest thing I ever heard was a guy who won uh, grand champion in Kansas City. He, uh, they said, uh, well, you won because of your ribs. What was your secret? He goes, I overcooked. Uh, <laughs> Some goes, people love the charry little aftertaste. Well, see, you can still get that without overcooking it, though. I you just so kiss too. it to the flame for the last but little while, do. and it's fine. People will come out just for that little aftertaste, even yeah. if there's no flavor attached to it. You're, you're that's right. How, that's you're how right. it was in uh, this little uh, one place where I grew up. Uh, I, I'm not going to name the name of the place. Why not? Well... For one, thing, for one thing, I can't remember off the top of my no, head. Nutbush. There you go. <laughs> the truth comes out. It would have been one of those deals where I'll remember it after the episode. But it's not Nutbush? No, this is in Brownsville, Tennessee. Oh, okay. No, I'm sure if there was like a legit Nutbush place, it would be like in a pit behind a gas station somewhere. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Just like nobody will know about it except uh-huh. people they tell about. He's like, it's that kind of show, people. There you go. <laughs> go balls. You can tell quarantine's hit us. Every show lately has been a party cast or Why a drinking not? cast. Why not? But no, man. Uh, I, man, I want fucking barbecue now. Right? <laughs> well, yeah. I, haven't had, I haven't had good barbecue in a while either. What's What's happened is I've, uh, you know, I used to do the competitions around here. And then I uh, just decided, I said, you know what? There's no payoff in this, meaning personal satisfaction. Right. I honestly never cared if I win or not. Yeah, yeah. It was just, did I feel like I put a good product out? Yeah. And in Kansas City, you know, you're competing against 500 other teams. Yep. I was about to ask. And and we constantly, the the team I, I, I cook with, we constantly score right in the middle. 
Okay. And I, and I was our overall team score is usually right in the middle. There'd be a couple things that'll score higher, but I was like, you know what? We just beat. 250 teams. And yeah. can- in Kansas City, is that does that mean more than, like, say, if you had a com- competition in Memphis or uh, Memphis any other, like, different. Bad- it's actually a completely different. Uh, all right, we're getting a little inside we're baseball. We're in the weeds here. We're, we're getting a little inside <laughs> baseball here. Oh. There are uh-oh. two different divisions. There is the KCBS, Kansas City Barbecue Society. Okay. And then there is the uh, Memphis Barbecue Society. I didn't know there were societies. There Interesting. Are, yeah. And there are two, uh, <laughs> what do we call them? Ruling jurisdictions? <laughs> yeah, that's, I guess. Sounds about two right. Different of them. <laughs> and uh, KCBS is, is really specific on what they require. And so is the Memphis, but they require different things. Everybody's looking at their phone. Sorry, our Discord uh, exactly. popped up for the something good for you clubhouse. <laughs> well, you tell them to fuck off. <laughs> we're, you know, I'm ta- we're talking barbecue here. Come Coleman, on. I'm calling you out for interrupting our goddamn podcast. That's right. Yeah, the first time he's popped up in there for a I minute, know, right? <laughs> yeah, that's enough. <laughs> that's all it took. Anyway, yeah, uh, the, yeah, I mean, there's the two, sanctions. Different, two different sanctions. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, just the rules are different, and I mean, when you're competing up against 500 teams, the truth is 500 teams, 500 teams. Jesus, imagine that's, being on the fucking tasting panel for that, having to taste 500 fucking dishes. Well, that's the issue. Yeah, that's the issue. They bring in a bunch of volunteer. <laughs> I mean, uh, I mean, who wouldn't want to volunteer judges. for that either? Sign and me they, up. And they got one table judge who knows the actual rules of the competition. Yeah, and the volu- all, all they all they do is they it, it's whatever their uncle makes. They rate the highest. Yep, absolutely. That's it. Yeah. And it's the dude from Ratatouille that's just like, hmm, hmm. Bring the next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I've turned in the same thing for. 12 years now uh uh-huh. and my scores have ranged from low to high to low again mm-hmm. and i'm like there's no just consistency in it. It. yeah absolutely crap shoot yeah it's a crap shoot i'd love to be on the taste test though oh, yeah. <laughs> no yeah, joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> bunch of fucking free ribs and barbecue yes I'm, sir. I'm pretty sure i'll do a uh test run of uh Boston butts and brisket nah, Ooh. before too long. Ooh, uh, we know a guy that makes uh, custom uh, hot sauce. I was literally just like sitting here too, thinking of like wanna... Chris is going to love this episode, <laughs> right? Well, you, well, you can use that after I'm done with it. <laughs> what do you know? Another Chris that likes to cook, Chris Morrison uh, from the That's Couch right. Potatoes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he every time we go up to the rim, he winds up cooking breakfast for us, or you know, hell, when just Chris and I go up there just to visit, he cooks dinner and all that. He is wicked oh, good dude, in the y'all kitchen. Would, well, I'm y'all looking talk forward to that. I've never days. been to the rim. No, you haven't. No, you and Chris will talk barbecue for hours. Oh yeah, and he, he'll chat your ear off. Plus, oh you, my plus God, you'll, that you'll love like, the rim. Sounds like it's going to get to nauseum. Uh, <laughs> no, no, but no, seriously. it will, but in a good way. And well, and the only reason I say that is, you know, when you've been competing for twelve years plus, yeah, and it's a like, very competitive you're like, you're thing like, too. Oh God, yeah, 
Well, no, we're, we, we say talk your ear off, meaning like he'll he would have knowledge on it. Wouldn't no, be sitting here and, going, and, I was and, like, and oh, I so you use the, uh, the the big flat knife." As you've heard yeah. from like how, how, like how deep are we into this podcast? <laughs> like how much time? Do Sixteen we, minutes. Sixteen minutes of talking about this kind of thing. Where it's well, like if it's you're a, still with us, <laughs> hang on, there will be music. <laughs> but it's still like one of those things where you get in the weeds about that kind of thing because it's such a geographical thing that it it's very, very much is. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's very easy to like uh, pick apart the little nuances of. Uh, every little territories, mm-hmm. you know, flavors and things like that. And, and, and what's funny is when I cook brisket, you know, it's it's a hundred percent Texas style. Okay, Hell which on. which well, that's just how I learned to do it. And then when you go, how up, is that different from like a different style? Texas style is salt and pepper. Okay, all right, salt and pepper. Enjoy the taste of the meat. Okay, when I go to competitions, they're like. I want flavor. I want sweetness, but I want to taste the beef. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, you can't have it all. Yeah, is, is it people that make up their own rules when it comes A- to their absolutely. shit? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> like I said, like I said, it's whatever their fucking uncle made. <laughs> that yeah. one time they Man, thought it was awesome. This ta- this tastes just like the way my grandpa made That's it. That's right. This I, tastes like Uncle Touchy's. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> It just is what it is. It's how it goes, you know. Well, I mean, clearly you have a passion for cooking. What came first, your passion for music or the kitchen? Definitely music. Definitely, Definitely music. But what was some of that? What was the band that like first grabbed you early on? Because of course you probably or did you have like a musical family? Like, well, my mom uh, likes to say she raised me on the radio. Okay. So I mean, this was the seventies. Uh, no, I'm not as old as Jeff Clayton, but I'm damn near close <laughs> um but uh i yeah during the 70s it was the radio right so i got an appreciation for harmonies and things like that and then uh you know like every young kid does and when they're 16 luckily earlier if you're if you're that lucky earlier than that i asked my parents for an electric guitar yeah and uh well i guess i was 15 at the time my mother just said, here's an acoustic guitar. If you can learn to play that, we'll do this. Honestly, my parents didn't think that much of me at the time. So uh, I had to prove myself to them. Right. And uh, actually, not too long ago, my mother told me, she goes, when we got you that electric guitar when you were 16, we never thought you'd take it this far. <laughs> <laughs> well, I Did mean, yeah, they, 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 that's a mother's love right there. Well, I was going to say, there, there's two ways you can kind of look at it. It's like, yeah, maybe she didn't like think much of it, but at the same time, who knows? I mean, you got to think about all the other kids that are just like, I want to do this, I want to do this, oh, and then yeah, two absolutely, months later, absolutely, and it's like, absolutely. fuck all of that. So care. I started on electric guitar, and, uh, you know, I made my way up. I played, uh, played in bands through college. And uh, at the time, you know, I was really into... Was this uh, here in North Carolina or... Uh... In North Carolina. Okay. Uh, I actually didn't go to Kansas City until I graduated from college. Okay. But uh, while I was in uh, North Carolina, you know, I really got into uh, thrash metal. Okay. Like, like, like a lot of kids my age, you know. I mean, I heard... Metallica's Injustice for All. Yes, I know the recording is terrible, but <laughs> but the the but, songs but, were but there. Still though, the song was there. Yeah. As a guitar player, it blows your mind. Yeah, as a guitar player, it blows your mind. It's not till you pick up bass later that you realize, oh, they fucked that guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, but as a guitar player, you know, I picked that up, and 
my whole thing was always about sounds. Mm-hmm. How do I get that sound out of a guitar? Yeah. How do I get that sound out of an amp? Yeah. And it's weird that you thought that immediately because when I was starting off, I was not conscious about like the t- tones, the sounds, like the the ways they get it at all. I'm like, oh, he has that. Maybe I should get that so I could sound mm-hmm. like that. But all that shit is expensive, so I'm going to buy this $100 guitar and this $100 amp and then try to make it sound like that, which, of course, you can't. Yeah, I got really lucky. Uh, my parents bought me a good guitar to start off with. A friend what was at, it? A friend that worked with my dad, he had a music store. And this was back when uh, Gibson really started pushing Epiphone. And okay. it was uh, essentially a super strat. Okay. And, uh, but it, I just remember, I still got the guitar. On the headstock, it says uh, Epiphone by Gibson. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, I learned to play on that. And yeah, I admit it was nothing but bar chords and cowboy chords. I mean, that's that, what we all learned. That's exactly. what we all that's started every with. guitar player or and most then, guitar players. And then uh, when I got in college, well, they made the mistake of what they do with every college student. They give them a credit card application. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I got a credit card. And that all goes to Guitar Center. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. But uh, the little music store in my hometown, Greenville, North Carolina, didn't accept credit cards. Really? Mm-hmm. So I had to pay on layaway. For thing, it was McFadden music. I'm you know gonna call what? you out. No shit. You know what? <laughs> Our store when I, where I grew up was all based on layaway too. Yep. Yep. And I remember for five hundred dollars, I could get a Randall head and a Ooh. P, and a PV base cap, or no, uh, just a PV four twelve. Sorry, okay, not base cap. That that base part comes up later in the store. Oh, gotcha. I much later realized that the Randall head I bought. Cause all my friends were like, "Hey, I got a, I got a hundred watt this, I got a hundred watt that," and I was like, "My head's five hundred watts." Oh, oh, I see where this is it, going. It, it turned out I bought a bass head <laughs> with a guitar cap. Yes, and uh, I could, ne- I could never get the sounds out of it I wanted. So, what's wrong with this? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it was definitely. It was like. Hey, my friends just adjust a few knobs, and they've got all the grit they want. I adjust a few knobs; it just sounds cleaner. (laughs) And uh, so I became the little pedal geek. Yeah, I think my first my first pedal was a Dod Thrashmaster. I just bought my first pedal like maybe a month ago. (laughs) Well, okay, this is predating you guys. All I can tell you is it was bright fucking pink. <laughs> nice. It was bright pink and said Thrashmaster on it. And I'm like, that's the one I need. Was that an overdrive or was that a... Uh... Oh, no. It was a distortion pedal. Oh, okay. It oh, was not an overdrive. Nice. Oh, I, that's pretty. I just remember when I saw, when I finally sold it, the guy had a guitar amp and played it through it. And I'm like, God damn, that thing sounds awesome. <laughs> Maybe I want to keep it. Man, one thing I've learned <laughs> too is Too late now. Yeah, play. too late now. You already committed. You can take every little piece of like junk gear you have, and you'll mm-hmm. find a sweet spot with, with something, whether it's another amp or another guitar. Well, oh, man, yeah. One of the things you were talking about, Cat, like when you're saying it's like uh, you weren't thinking about something that you to like reach that tone i did the opposite i was kind of where you were it was mm-hmm. like okay i'm listening to different stuff the first thing i was really wanting to emulate was annie scene i wanted yeah, to get that yeah, joe yeah, young yeah, buzz tone definitely so 
I just I wound up knowing those guys, of course. So I oh, just wound up asking one time. I was like, Joe, how do you get that sound? Because I noticed his guitar. I knew on like... I the telly, right? Yeah, he had telly. I didn't know the names of guitars or anything. So I just mm. knew musicians that had a certain guitar. So I'm like, okay, I know on the Ace Frehley guitar, those are thick pickups. And that has a certain sound. Right. Joe's guitar has the thin pickup. I have <laughs> thin pickups too. I should be able to get that sound. So my brain was already on that motion. Oh, yeah. And then he was like, oh, man, it's this. And he showed me that orange distortion pedal from Boss. Like, this right, is the regular right, right, orange right, distortion. Right. He's like, you get this? And he like showed me his adjustments he's like just get this man it's like you know thirty dollars twenty dollars some dirt ass but cheap. it was a boss pedal yeah right not an orange yeah okay. it, yeah it, yeah it was a boss it pedal. was colored orange colored orange. right and uh and he was like man just get you this he showed me the tones and everything how did mom she picked me one up plugged it into the tiny crate amp that i had <laughs> <laughs> my brother's and, got one of those and then, i got one better i had a ross Ooh, ooh! I know nah, this. Heard of this, that. this crate could literally sit on the table here and be used as like a chip holder. It was that right. fucking tiny, <laughs> right. like like dead serious. Like from my the, little Roland Cube Thirty shit. <laughs> oh, it's slightly bigger than that. Only tiny, like slightly larger. My little Cube Thirty can get a little mean tone out of it, though. Yeah, well, this thing well, eventually you're dealing did. With newer but, technology. That's true. Well, see, I mean, the way Al, I was able Alex to get it, and I are talking about is it just yeah. Solid state. Yeah. Right. No, no but it, you couldn't find a tube amp to save your life. Well, the, the one he's talking about is like a little lunchbox amp. Right. Yeah. yeah so. It's like the perfect little practice amp with all kinds of little effects built but in yeah, it. My, but yeah, mine was only slightly now, did bigger. Did look like a crate? Yes. It had the wooden stuff oh, on. Oh no, it didn't have the wood on it. It okay. was it was the um like the fake leather black oh, okay. stuff on it. Because I remember Gorilla amps looking mm. like that. Ooh. I was nice. just gonna say no, but yeah. it did have the traditional logo and everything right, on it right, and all right. that. But yeah, the only way I was able to get that good tone out of it was now I put it on that clean channel. And I used just that pedal, bypassing all of the technology they put into it. Oh, and I'm yeah. just like Oh, this is what, I, and all of a sudden it felt like I played guitar better. If that made any sense? No. It, oh no, it totally makes sense. Does. It's like all of a sudden I was like, oh, 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 okay, and then like all of a sudden I was like, felt like I was playing more precise, and I was like more aware of what my fingers were going. I so told, I, was like, oh, okay. I told numerous people this. They're like, my kid wants to start playing uh, electric guitar. What should I get? I told him. I said, get him a uh, decent guitar. And by by decent, I mean like Epiphone, maybe Epiphone Squire. I, I honestly, I said, and spend the money on an amp. Yes, yeah. Honestly, the talking about first guitars, sp- I highly recommend an Epiphone Les Paul Junior. Mm-hmm. You can set the action on that really good. The yep. stock pickups that are in it work really nice, and it's a decent little guitar. And you can always pick them up from anywhere between a hundred to two hundred bucks. Yep. And use that I, extra cash. T- exactly what you said. Use that extra cash to get a good amp. And I'm I'm going to tell all parents this: go somewhere that will set the guitar up not yeah. at guitar I, center <laughs> well yeah you're right, you're right. <laughs> it depends on the, it depends on if you know the people over well, there too yeah in, in charlotte north carolina go to nc guitar works yes they yep. will it's it's about i'm gonna say about 80 bucks it may have gone up since i last had a That's guitar set up there though, for a setup but especially from the, these guys have them set your guitar up because what's going to happen is your kid's going to get it it's going to come from the guitar is going to come from China. It's going to hurt their fingers, which will kind of happen. But if the action is set correctly, it won't hurt as much. Yeah. 
and your kid if they're not sti- complaining of the pain that's right that means your they're kid, into your it. kid will stick with it yep. you know absolutely absolutely the other trick is if your kid's just just learning guitar put super glue on their fingers mm-hmm. it's a fake callus yep so. No, yeah, there's like that. Um, Cap looks at his fingers like, oh, do I have any count? Uh, oh, yeah, because we didn't practice today. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, just don't get me started. <laughs> well, no. I will talk shit for hours. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to. So, man, you finally get your guitar and everything. Uh, do you remember like the first uh, band that you joined and like what made it feel like? this is the band I'm going to be in for a while. Did you ever have that feeling of like, this band is going to be the one I'm in until that I'm... was, uh, that came much later. Yeah. That came much later. Uh, when I first, uh, hold on. Go Part two. When I, <laughs> when I first started learning guitar, um, I think like a lot of people in the, this would have been late eighties era. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eddie Van Halen, was a shit right so you wanted to learn to play van halen songs right and i had a friend of mine same age as i was went to school with me he got a guitar at about the same time and he gravitated more towards leads and i gravitated more towards rhythm yeah so he and i would play together all the time never had a real band if you will but when i got in college um I joined a band. Oh, well, I didn't join a band. I started the band that uh, we ended up calling ourselves Pumpkinhead after the uh, horror movie. Yeah, yeah. We were like, hey, that's kind of a. That's, it makes me think, Is there was there not a Pumpkinhead band already? Not that we knew of. This I was going to say, there was pre-internet, man. This it is didn't pre, matter. This is pre-internet. There, there was no dude. pumpkin head in town. Fuck them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's a great name for like a metal band Oh, at I'm the sure time. there it's was. Just, it's just like my name, my main band. I wish there was no internet because otherwise, aside from that, we would be, we'd be called Jesus Chrysler right now. Uh, uh, was that your suggestion? Uh, no, it was our guitar player. Oh, okay. Got he, it. He's like, I want to call it. Jesus Chrysler and I was like, I want to call it Switchbelly Jesus. Both, <laughs> apparently, both of those were taken. But, of course uh, they are. But <laughs> anyway, no, we started playing, and, and in college, um, growing up in a small town and only hearing what was on the radio or what you bought mm-hmm. at a live show, you ended up with this very small mentality. Yes, and no one ever. And this is why I try to talk to a lot of young musicians. No one ever told us what it took to start playing out. Yeah. Yeah. So basically we, we rehearsed for like a year and a half. We played one backyard party. And after, after that, a year and a half, after a year and a half, because we didn't know how to get into a club at okay. the time. Yeah, th- yeah, this was before like a big, I mean, again, before the internet. So there was before the big online DIY movement of, hey, right, this is right, how right, you book right, shows. Right. It wasn't just sending an email like it is now. And this was well, the, and You this would have had what? to have gone to a venue, pitched yourself. This and you early know, 80s? Well, no, the, no, this was like uh, early 90s. Okay, but still, it probably then. would have been 93. Yeah, but that's still before so, yeah, you're sending it, off the emails The internet was a shit. bunch of porno chat rooms at yeah. the time. You know? <laughs> so I mean, it's like, you, I mean, how old did you say you were? Oh, God, I was 18, 19. Okay, so five. imagine 18, 19-year-old Cap, no internet. Yeah. You've been jamming with your brother and your bedroom the whole time, yeah. and now you so happen to run across a drummer. 
how what's your first inclination to go to a venue and try to pitch yourself and oh, we do would, that? I mean, oh, we wouldn't have had a clue. Exactly. So. Yeah, I mean, I mean, at the time, all the bands we knew were relatively established yeah. in our our area. The big band at the time was a band called Sex, Love, and Money. Okay. And, uh, you know, they were playing uh, what was great about them is the couple covers they had in there. It was everything from Death Angel to uh, Nine Inch Nails. Oh, damn. Wow. (laughs) Because Death Angel. (laughs) Yeah. Dude, I was going to say, I hadn't heard that name in forever. Dude, Death Angel, I still love them. They're an original thrash band, and I like them. Oh, yeah. But, but yeah, we had no insight into that. It was more of a... uh, you know, we were still under the impression that clubs asked you to play. Right. So we started to get, we started to keep putting Or you had out, to play a showcase. Right. Mm-hmm. Or a showcase. We kept looking for it. The small town in North Carolina I grew up in uh, never had a showcase. Yeah. You know? Yep. And anti- and plus a lot of those were uh, pulled together by like indie record labels and stuff right, like that. Right, right, right. I remember going to see Antocene at a little club. Yep. In there. And I was like, Forgive me for this. I was like, how the fuck these guys get booked? You know? <laughs> well, because again, it comes from that, you know, I, I, I had no exposure to it. Exactly. And you you're know? also sitting here going, it's like, my shit's good. Why can't oh, I yeah, get yeah, out yeah, there yeah, and yeah, fucking yeah. play? You know, and, so if anything, that lit a good fire under your ass. Yeah. Dude, that is one of the reasons why I do continue to play. A, because I love playing. Right, I have to absolutely. play music. But B, there are times I just, I hear a YouTube video or, you know, I just walk, stumble upon a band and I'm sitting here going like, fuck. Oh, yeah. These guys are out there doing it. There's, there's no way oh, yeah, I can't I not do kind of, this. What kind of stuff them. were you playing with uh, these guys But when you were starting to think about things like it this? It was, uh, it was thrashy mm-hmm. with a little bit of, uh, at the time, modern '90s music. Okay, got it. So no, like uh, Alex and I've talked about this with Tony before about how with punk rock, it's a lot easier to book yourself because you know any punk rock band can get on stage as long as they have the attitude, and right, A right, few right, songs right, right. that can like play a fifth. 20 minute set yeah. anywhere right, right. but then with that kind of music that's a little bit of a different it, it, mentality it's a discipline very like focused that. mentality yes. so you Which, are a disciplined musician that's one thing like uh, we all have in common like here at this table is that we are all uh, very like uh, very serious with our music we all talk, take what we do that, very seriously and that seriously. was a progression for me because I definitely started with that punk rock fuck it lose mm-hmm. I don't give a fuck attitude but the more I started paying attention to the bands I liked right. I started noticing I'm like okay well they actually don't have that attitude. Right. It's like all these people that love the Sex Pistols and love playing loose and everything. It's like actually no, really listen to the guitar on that. There's good right. gear there, and he is a talented guitarist, and he's not playing loose. That's very precise. And oh yeah, and what were you saying? Uh, talking about your uh, pick movements. What oh was yeah, the, what yeah, was the yeah. phrasing it, you economy used? Economy of motion. Economy of motion. It's an economy of guitar playing. Mm-hmm. He he is very Paul is just Paul Jones uh, Steve Jones Steve Jones, yeah. Steve Jones. Uh, Paul Cook Steve Paul Jones <laughs> mix them two very precise John with Paul gu- Jones <laughs> there are too many variations no he, de- no he didn't have to learn anything he just had to get a triple neck acoustic guitar and just roll from there, there <laughs> so as soon as I started paying attention to little things like that is when I 
started actually taking my guitar play more seriously. And right. also coming from a huge Kiss fan, I'm sitting here going, oh, man, I love Kiss and I can't play a single one of their songs. I can play every song in the Ramones, Sex Pistols, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Social Distortion, any scene catalog, but I don't know how to play Ooh. all these Kiss songs, a single one of them. It's, <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned Kiss. The the band I was in in college, the, the Pumpkinhead band, our uh, lead guitar player was a huge Kiss fan. Yeah. Right? He had the biggest dichotomy I've ever seen. He loved Kiss and Iron Maiden. Oh, God. I was one of those. So, and, you know, we played Detroit Rock City. And so I learned all the rhythm parts to it. And yeah. we got to play it the one time we got to play out. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the crowd went wild. Then we'd start go- getting into uh, other things like uh, – you know, uh, suicidal tendencies, pledge your allegiance. And you all play that. your deep cut favorites all that, that nobody would give a shit yeah, about. <laughs> that's the term. That term. That's the term I learned only a handful of years ago. Deep cuts. Mm-hmm. You know, I learned that term, and I was because everybody would go, uh, "What? Yeah, what does what? that even mean? What? What is that?" And I'm like. Well, shit, we all know this song. How come you don't? Yeah, really. You know, I had a band with uh, two. I had a radio show with uh, two of my best friends in college. We had a band together where our whole thing was just deep cut 70 songs mm-hmm. like Thin oh, yeah. Lizzy and uh, Sweet. We oh, actually yeah. did Ballroom Blitz. No the shit. Sweet. The, oh, <laughs> well, it's, sweet, it's, the Sweet. The Sweet. Yeah. I've looked that up. Uh, they. And we would do Led Zeppelin. We would do Whole Lot of okay. Love. Okay. And our singer would like totally do the that <laughs> really fucking well, oh, yeah, too. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. I think that's one of the things I really enjoy about Super Jazz. We may not play as many deep cuts, but we play right. a lot of unknown stuff. Like yeah, a lot absolutely. of people, the majority of people haven't heard the kind of stuff that we all listen to so right. much. You know, I mean, Cap might not know this, but uh, Alex definitely does. When I found out that uh, your bass player was, he was like, "Look, guys, I'm moving. I'm having a baby, and all this kind of stuff." Well, I was already playing with Tony. Yeah. Tony yeah. Leon, lead singer of the... Y'all were playing Bowlers. with Grave Rollers, who have an album out on every streaming service that you should totally and check beautiful out. Beautiful vinyl. That's right. You need to hit us up and buy one. Yes. It's a very hey. cool fucking package, too. Just saying. Oh, yeah. I have Thank a copy. You. Got any more toe tags left? Toe tags sold out. Oh, damn. All right. Good. So no more well, that's a good thing for us. That well, means well, I was saying we could use that as a little extra bonus, but oh, well, yeah. I'll tell you what, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll put something else in it if you order it oh, and say, I heard it on uh, something good for something you. Something good for you. Perfect. You need to print out like a 10 by 12 sign it. I'll, I'll, put, a beautiful face. I'll put in a used mask. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was going to say, it would fit That's in. it. Get your own coronavirus mask <laughs> signed by the band. Put it on eBay 20 years later and see how it, if eBay is still a thing. 20 God. Years later. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It'll be eBay. eBay. <laughs> so what wound up letting uh, letting you? Well, actually, before we even go into that, something I just don't want to lose mm-hmm. this part of the train of thought. Something you brought up a minute ago, which was you know how being raised on the radio and only having the albums that you picked up at merch booths and your local record yeah, shop that yeah, you eventually yeah. heard from it kind of limited your music knowledge absolutely sure absolutely. and sure you didn't maybe have the ability to go to the record store just pick up the random copy right. but you probably weren't very much into that and you wanted to hear the word of mouth thing 
I think that Cap in our generation, because we're pretty close in age, mm -hmm. I think our generation is one of the last few that has now seen both sides of that. Right. Because I grew up like that too. We didn't have a lot of internet when I was growing post up. Post internet, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So I, my early music taste was a lot of mom going here. Listen to this album. Right. Here, listen to this album. Because my, and, because and, we tried living the normal life when we moved to South Carolina. Right. She she used to have like you know black hair and everything. She brightened it up to like well, a natural brown and well, covered her black hair. She's now. still pretty yeah. solid. Yeah. But, but but you know she she she, she 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 toned it up to like a brown and covered her tattoos and you know all that tried leaving like the normal right, life right. but eventually she played kiss around me and i was like what's that and she was like oh fuck <laughs> but after that she started really nurturing me falling into music oh, she's man, like I she's live, like here's I, a ramones record here's you know social distortion all that so my main the only bands i was really aware of for the longest time i can mm -hmm. still name them only bands i listened to was ozzy osbourne black sabbath kiss uh, Sex Pistols, Social Distortion, and Annie Sane. Those there you are the go. only. That's all you need. That was the only bands I knew for years. Can I name you my five from like my big exposure to music? Oh, yeah. yeah, from that from that age where you like really get into it. It was Kiss, Rush, Frank Zappa, mm -hmm. Van Halen, and Black Sabbath. <laughs> nice. See what's funny is outside of Van Halen, all the other bands you just mentioned, Cap. I didn't get into until high school because because they got no radio airplay. Well, yeah. Ru Rush, def Rush definitely did when I was in high school because it was classic rock radio and stuff well, like that. And they were like staples by then. But with with uh, your uh, with how with uh, your age, yeah, how big was Rush? As I imagine, Rush is the more famous one out of it was outside of Van Halen and Kiss. Really, it was non-existent. I mean, I, I got to tell you, I got so to tell you. So they had peaks and valleys, and so their valleys were in deep the lows. 80s, they well, were, no, no. In the 80s, they, they were they very weren't synth on, band and shit they like that, and the metal guys weren't 40 radio. It. Yeah. Got it. And they were like, uh, the metal guys didn't let on, latch on to Rush in the 80s because they were a very synth-driven band at that point. At that point, yeah. Yeah, so that felt I, I mean, I, I latched on to Rush mm -hmm. when I first heard them because the first album I heard was Fly By Night. Which is like pretty, you know, seventies, you know, classic rock yeah, sounding pretty, stuff with a very 70s elaborate rock. Mm -hmm. And what was the album after that? Was it Subdivision? Uh, Farewell to Kings was after Fly By Night. Subdivision yeah, was just like early eighties. Yeah, that album's shit. <laughs> um. <laughs> the title track is good. I love the title track. It's very. I love that song, dude. I, you have to apologize. <laughs> Rush. Uh, synth era rush has its little like moments, but that's about it. It's it kind of like 80s kiss. <laughs> There's like 80s rush. He, he's too. been on the 80s kiss kick lately. Uh, I've been all over the place. 80s kiss, fucking like I'm back on 60 stones. And, <laughs> yeah, it's a whole thing. Well, as far as 80s kiss goes, I mean, I heard it and I was like, yeah, I don't like that shit. <laughs> you know, so. no, there's, there's, I've, I've said it a few times. I could make. A greatest hits CD yeah. of maybe ten tracks out of right, their entire right, right, 80s right, right, catalog. Right. Damn it, I messed it up. I should have opened it up on the mic. Oh, damn, Cap. Where's no, my beer, like, woman? <laughs> <laughs> but no, so it's like you can find a good song on almost anything, and they did have like a few deep cuts right. uh, that, on those records Turn that were pretty good. That, and that is one I like that, that a good one. Song. You know what? That's that's my current stance on any band now. It's it's one of the reasons I don't know if you guys were on on this thing but like during high school and everything where everybody's kind of picking their lane yeah yeah it was like 
I like this band, which means you don't like that band. Yes. That kind of absolutely. And I fell into that full heartedly. But now I'm like, you know what? You can pick almost any band and I can find a song. That I like by him. Yeah. It could be like some. Yeah. Except for Nickelback. Fuck, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fuck do- your photograph. I watched a documentary on uh, David Foster this morning. I don't know if you know who he is, but uh, he's like one of the big super producers of the 21st mm-hmm. century where like he uh, discovered Celine Dion. He recorded I Will Always Love You, the Whitney Houston version. He recorded. Uh, that's the bullshit bull- Michael version, Bublin. by the way. Well, that's the bullshit. Ver- okay. <laughs> the Whitney Houston version is bullshit. All right. Yep. Interesting. That was hot my version ta- growing hot up. Hot takes from Very TV hot over take. here. I'll tell you what. That's uh, like the most famous version, though. I'll tell you what. The first concert I ever went to was uh, Stars of the Grand Old Opry. Was Dolly on it? Dolly was on That's, it. Uh, okay, and I so. heard her sing that. Of course that, well, yeah. You know both of those singers have to have mad respect for each other. Oh, <laughs> if they don't, of course Dolly, then fuck them. Of course, of course <laughs> I mean, Dolly does. Dolly's just like, Whitney made me all yeah, kinds Do- of... Oh, yeah. Yeah, Dolly has respect. She's Dolly's like, just like, I'm cashing yeah. checks, motherfucker. Yeah, Dolly's like, <laughs> I mean, Whitney has paid for like five of my mansions. That's right. <laughs> you see Dollywood over here in Pigeon Forge? Yeah, that's Whitney money. Well, it's like the, it's like the little fact I love throwing out there, which is um, Lemmy wrote Ozzy one of his biggest hits. Yeah, mom, yeah, mom, I'm coming, coming home. home. Yeah, <laughs> the difference is that Lemmy probably spent a good chunk of that pretty quick. Oh yeah, well he didn't get a lot from it though. He made Ozzy a lot of money. He probably got yeah. He probably because uh, hell, I mean, do, do, I'm assuming everyone at the table saw that sad ass Lemmy doc that came out uh, well, like an album or two ago. Do you look Here's at it? The, do you look at it as a sad doc? Is it the one that you're thinking of? Just titled Lemmy. And yeah. it shows yeah. like the inside of his house and everything. Yeah, I mean, that's- I saw it as a little sad, only because such a huge rock giant, it, and it's totally of his own doing, and that's the reason it's sad. It wasn't like I, he got screwed over by record labels. I've he didn't got a little get, bit of insight on that. I want to provide. Well, before you do that, I want to provide my take first. Where yeah, I fuck think my he, insights. Fuck I, your insight, man. We don't I give think, a fuck. I think part of that is like his own choosing. Like he chose to live like that too because he was always on tour. He was always recording and chose not to have a girlfriend or a wife. So no, but it, it just, I guess just even the conditions he lived in and how content oh, he was. was a fucking mess. Yeah. It just feels like he would have had at least a modest home. That would, that would be like the current apartment we live in right now. If we were like, uh, honestly, yeah, if it you was were about a, this an size. avid collector of Nazi memorabilia. Yeah. <sighs> well, yeah. He, was, he was a big military. He was a big military history buff. Quote well, unquote. Well, no, no, no. Don't get me wrong. I'm not calling Lemmy a Nazi. No, he, yeah, but exactly. as he said in the doc, they had the coolest uniforms. He said, yeah, I remember that doc. You know, he says, well, if the Yugoslavians had uh, better uniforms, I'd wear those. Well, it's because they're meant to be terrifying. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. So, of course, we're sitting here as the big bad rock stars at like our leather stuff and our studs and our pins. We're sitting here going, huh? <laughs> fashion is something. Well, rock and roll is all fashion driven anyway, right? Oh, yeah. To an Not extent. to me, man. You don't, yeah. Well, you should hear you know, I was going to say, you, you know well, we've had this argument before, but it's That's like... It's not an argument. Well, it's not an argument with this debate and this discussion before, but it's like, we, rock and roll is a passion. It is a music. It's an attitude. The same oh, the yeah, other. Absolutely. But people that even want to go like, oh, I like this band because they don't give a fuck. It's like, no, let's even take it back to the band we're talking about now, Motorhead. Oh, you yeah. don't think 
Lemmy had a costume he put on when he no, went on stage. No, absolutely. He did. Was like, the, the he blood, still had a design. He had a look. And the bullet vest. He had a, mm-hmm. I remember like in a doc, he said, yeah, I dye my hair. He's like, why do you do that? Well, because I look like fucking Willie Nelson if I don't. Yeah, and that's why we it, say yeah, it still like, comes down like, to a certain amount of fashion. Nobody fucker up there playing. No. You know? So even people that feel like, it, oh, it's just an organic, he rolled out on stage looking like that. It's like, no, there's there's still a certain amount of fashion I'm not to say, that. I'm not saying there's not thought to it. I just... At least for me, I don't put like I need to look like this. Oh no, there. that's not what we're saying at all. I mean, I mean, I put it as what do I wear on the street? Mm-hmm. To me, that's rock and roll. Yeah, you no, know? no, that, we mean, weren't saying there's a certain it, it's, uniform it's you have attitude. to wear. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's definitely is the attitude. I was just coming from the aspect of like. Folks but that pe- just go, people care, but folks that don't look like they care probably care a little bit. Yeah, oh, that, yeah I, th- I think that's the overarch. <laughs> oh, I put that on every person wearing a vest, oh, covered yeah. in patches. Oh, I have. I, I mean, I'm I have no fucking shame. I, yeah, look <laughs> well, at that vest I said right over there. <laughs> no, because when I was coming up, when I was playing in uh, Tommy Ray and the Ray Guns, the only people that had those vests were the gutter punks. Yeah. yeah. No, I ha- I have nothing against them it- until they started talking shit to me. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, "Fuck you!" you and don't- honestly, I didn't have know? a vest for the well, longest time because of that. Because well, I did, I wanted to. The, the, the punks, rock, got- the punks, fucking like the the punk rock, fucking mentality of a uniform, a look where there's like supposed to be a predetermined aesthetic. Yeah. To oh it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is so bullshit, dude. I still I still remember. Uh, when the rock and roll look, you still had a vest with patches all over it, but it was put on. It it was just a uh, jean jacket with the sleeves cut off. Yeah, over a leather motorcycle jacket. Oh yeah, and that and I'm telling you right now for that years. So fucking disgusting, sweat wise. Oh it's, dude, it was it was I, gross. I was gonna say it's not that bad. I did that for years for the main reason being I liked vest, but exactly oh, what yeah. you said, especially where Charlotte was in the uh, early to mid 2000s mm-hmm. if you had a vest you were a gutter punk and, Dude, I, and especially when the fillings were coming up and you know late 2010s you know 14s and everything mm-hmm. that was still very predominant and i'm like ah, i don't want us to be a punk band so i didn't have a vest for the longest time well, only you know, now I mean, until i'm like fuck it i'm putting like some glam stuff on it with studs right. and cheetah print you know i'm gonna make it a non-punk vest oh well <laughs> you know i'm not saying i don't i don't like it and i don't appreciate it yeah but it's just one of those things where it's like, uh, you know, I can't do that because of my memory of exactly. what that represented. And that's I, totally oh, valid. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, mean, I, I think it is. It's like one and, of the one of the one of my favorite sayings is, you know what, a, val- a valid reason is I wanted one, mm-hmm. yeah, or I don't like it. And yeah. it's weird. That's, like, that's 100. percent And valid. I finally decided I wanted one, yeah, mainly because yeah, yeah. I had like a certain vision. I'm like, you know, I'm going to put the cheat on there. I'm going to put a circle bolt and put some fucking kiss studs on mm-hmm. it. I'm, I'll make it my aesthetic. And that's with all of us too, because like we all grew up with the, we grew up liking the same stuff that you like growing. Oh up. yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. And it was imprinted in our psyches growing up because it was played on the radio to 
on a regular extent, even though you would only see these bands play like once in a blue moon. Right. But this was the music that stayed with you. And since it stayed with you, you're just like, oh, these guys look cool because they played this really cool style of music. I kind of want to look like them because that made me feel good. Right. You know? and, ev- and even outside of emulating, you know, the people that you see, I think one of the other reasons I still pull, you know, a look or fashion into terms of rock and roll is part of the reason why I get annoyed if I see someone wearing a band t-shirt and they don't know who the band band is oh so hell yeah so with that that's part of the reason i still feel that what you wear and how you look is still part of a representation of the music you like because if i see someone out wearing a super sucker shirt you know super suckers is it yeah Get you another beer. (laughs) Get my beer (laughs) got nice curly hair for it that's right no uh I see, like, if I see someone wearing a Super Sucker shirt, that's a little bit more indie. That's not like seeing someone wearing a Kiss shirt or something. Now You come waltzing up to them, and they go, oh, well, I don't know. Is that that feels a little, you know, like, oh, damn, why the fuck are you wearing that, though? Yeah, You're not supposed man. to wear this. Dude, I wore an Injustice for All shirt until it, that black T-shirt that I got at Record Bar, if anybody remembers Record Bar. I've heard of it. And uh, <laughs> I've heard of it. I never got to go to that one, man. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I wore that until it was a light gray. Ooh. Yeah, and uh, I, I was always, you know, I always tried to represent what I was about. Exactly, you know? yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I remember that, too, because I, I would even start going out and playing shows, and I would examine someone's, like, pins on their vest or something. Oh, yeah. And I'd point one out and be like, you know, oh, cool, you know, screeching weasel pin or something right, like that. Right, right, right. And they'd be like, what? Oh, yeah, 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 man. I was like, what's your, one of your favorite songs? I just started listening to them a few months ago, yada, yada. He goes, oh, well, you know, I, I just saw, I just kind of saw them live once. I didn't really, I, I have not really listened to them or anything. I hate that bullshit because people... And you it's know, like, yes, congratulations, you saw him live, thank you. But if you're going to wear the pin, right. you should have went back and like listened to the catalog or something, been ready for this question. <laughs> it's just like when I uh, when I lived in L.A., you know, a buddy of mine was like, "Hey, you want to go see GBH?" Oh yeah. And I was like, "Yeah, I don't really know who they are." Yeah. But I'll go see them. Mm-hmm. I got really annoyed by all like the early twenty somethings late teens that had gbh everything yeah because i well people ought to know this i do my research mm-hmm. before i go out yes and i was like you don't know fucking shit yeah. about this band and, and, and the one cry i have on that one is mom was a punk and gbh oh, yeah, was yeah, one of the yeah, few yeah. she showed me so it's like i was i knew about that and that's why i was like so stoked when we actually got to open for him one time at Tremont right. and I was just like fuck yes but no that I totally agree such a there's, good show too there are so many people I see walking around with like shirts for bands and shit and I'm like either you've got really cool parents or you don't know what the fuck you've got GBH on. was definitely one of those bands like up there with the Misfits oh yeah mm-hmm. you, you, you know the one thing that annoys me because this band at least in my knowledge feel free to correct me is I see Nuclear Assault t-shirts a lot Mm-hmm. Has anyone seen Nuclear Assault? I've not in a while. I, I've not listened to their music. I know the name. If Nuclear Assault came through Charlotte in the past, like what seven years, they would have played Tree Mob by now. Yeah. Oh yeah. 
So I, I'm not. I'm that's not. That's not. That's look, not my cup of tea. So I've not stayed up to date on it. So I'm maybe not the best person to ask. But I'm for me personally, no, to me, I'm nuclear not. assault kind of fell into that uh, that weird mix of uh, thrash and hardcore. Yeah. That came North, out North like Carolina in the early Carolina seemed to be a hotbed for that kind of stuff, where hardcore and death metal kind of met for a little bit. And actually, yeah. uh, and Tommy Ray and the Ray Guns, that was more of like a rockabilly venture, wasn't it? It was. And, I mean, and when did you join up with that? Because uh, you mentioned them a few times. That was 2008. So how was that kind of? Because well, Charlotte, even though they had the metal scene, it no, had I'm, a pop. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That was more like. When it originally started, it was more like 2006. Okay. Uh, Charlotte did have a metal scene, but there for a minute, it went through a 60s rockabilly phase where there was a lot of... There like, still is kind of a thing there That's more today. the remnants at this yeah, point. Yeah, it's oh, more say. the remnants. But but it had a pretty good pop there for a at good the, few years. At the point we got together, there was a th- still a thing called the Rockabilly Barbecue. Yes, I remember that. And it was a great uh, car show and... Uh, band event mm-hmm. and it was at Puckett's Farm Equipment. Still a great venue. Go out there before it gets sold. And uh, like everything went, else here. Yeah. I went out there once, but we can get in that before too long. All right. We'll fight about that later. <laughs> anyway, um, anyway, it, it all started with, uh, oh, I guess everybody in Charlotte knows him as Tommy Ray. Yeah. Right. He was a friend of mine, uh, Tom Long. And I had. Just recently bought a motorcycle. Go balls. So I bear opened. <laughs> that's what I thought he said at the beginning of the show. And that's why I'm like, <laughs> what? What are you talking about? Go Vols. V-O-L-S. It's yes. The Tennessee, yes. It's the Tennessee he w- uh, football thing. He went to thing. school there. Oh, really? Yes, he did. Okay. And uh, I'm sorry. I missed the whole beer <laughs> opening shit. That's just a me thing. Just roll with it. Continue. All right. I'm hanging with children, people. <laughs> Anyway, Excuse me. Anyway. I'm hanging. I'm holding myself together 30, quite well, yeah. sir. Uh, I'm a 32 yes. year old Al- child Alex with my bullshit, staying, uh, and I'm the youngest at the table. <laughs> Alex is staying remarkably sober, considering he doesn't drink. So, um, anyway, <laughs> anyway, I hooked up. I hooked up with Tom, and it turned out that we both had a musical background, right? And uh, we were like, "Hey, man, we should we should start playing some music together." And he, it was like back porch bullshit, just right. he and I. And then we hooked up with a bass player named, uh, I won't give you his real name. He he went by Badger. Okay. Okay. All right. If I give his real name out, his reputation would be ruined. <laughs> anyway, he went by Badger and he played upright bass. Right. And we talked to Gary Puckett, who owns Park, Puckett's Farm Equipment. Mm-hmm. We're like, hey, we're trying to get together a band, and uh, but we got no prayer of the practice. Do you have any recommendations? He yeah. goes, come practice here on Sundays. Word. So we were in a bar. We we're so our first thing of just trying to work out songs was in front of people. And if you don't know what the layout <laughs> is, it's kind of like a farm equipment shop, but there's also a stage, right? That's interesting. Yeah, was, yeah. Was that yeah. how it was uh, when it was uh, when you were playing there too? Yeah, I mean, okay. I mean, it's 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 a rather large place. Yeah, it's a big, and, room. And it's a yeah. decent sized stage. But but it's interesting that it's farm equipment and a stage. Well, the whole rationale for that was um, Gary Puckett's grandfather mm-hmm. opened it as a farm equipment store. Okay, and then when his dad took over, 
they started selling beer as well. Okay. Then they realize we're selling a lot more fucking beer than we are farm equipment. <laughs> so who'd have thunk it? And then when Gary took it over, he took he, he took out all the uh, part shelves, right, and put the stage in. And okay, like okay, that. that's an interesting little transition there. Well, yeah, and uh, go where the money is. So, like I said, I got I got to know Gary, and uh, you know he was a good guy, even though we're, there were rebel flags everywhere. I can tell you the only color that Gary ever cared about was green yeah right <laughs> if you could pay for your stuff he didn't care who you were yeah actually there's a there's a story where a um couple of uh african-american guys were back there in at his place playing pool mm-hmm. and some little white karen walked in <laughs> white karen and jeez and started, Chris, leave the karens out of this man. oh hey, no hey. not the poor karens <laughs> well here's the deal he's Gary said, and she started talking shit to these guys. Yeah. And she goes, he goes, if you're going to talk that shit to my customers, you need to get the fuck out of here. There you go. And That's he threw her it. out. That's how you do it. So, <laughs> despite what everybody thinks, Gary's a solid guy. So, how long did the uh, Tommy Ray thing from the Ray Guns last? It lasted about uh, three and a half years. Good. Good job bringing it back on subject. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> well, uh, because it was practice over there, so it, it was all about works. three and a half years, and uh, we eventually moved to a different practice space and ended up where, uh, God, uh, where the Fillmore is. Okay, NC Music Factory. Yeah, yeah. They used to have a, they used to rent practice spaces there called okay. the NC Underground. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And we were there, and we eventually moved over to the Noda Music Studios. Noda Studios. Oh, wow. That's the one by uh, Divine Barrel, right? Uh, Divine Barrel wasn't there when we were there. Okay. That's that area's rough. It's now. been it's been <laughs> creeping out that way. That this was area. this was like you go through the friendly area. Mm-hmm. Then you drive scared for a few minutes, <laughs> and then you're like, okay, here we are. Yep, that sounds about right. But uh, we had a a great studio there and uh it was a cool little spot it was a cool spot because uh dirtback had a room there for a minute too and i just remember yeah which there. they sell sh- oh god what was the name of that band uh eleanor rose they shared it with them oh oh uh not um not eleanor rose but oh shit hold on fuck wasn't it eleanor rose i don't remember a rose band. come on cap we need you. Yeah, Cap wasn't around this time. i was this gonna say i've been time. here for like six seven years and this is before his time fuck. six seven years yep I was doing Knoxville shit before I moved up I here. Won't, I won't be able to say. Uh, you didn't tell me what I think that, it was okay. Eleanor Rose. You okay. didn't tell me what that venue was and tell me that story about earlier. We can talk about that. You're going to have to remind mic. me. You're going to have to bring that up later. Oh, I'll, I'll <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> anyway, well, Eleanor Rose was right down the hall from us. Right. And I used to go over there with those guys and drink all the time. But uh, we had a great studio there. And from there, I mean, we played... Chapel Play- Grove? No. Because Chapel Eleanor Grove. Eleanor Rose. Okay. Because I remember Chapel Grove being right down uh, from... I don't care how okay. sober you are. <laughs> Eleanor Rose You're was still the name wrong. of that band. Okay. I believe you. Anyway, I believe you. Anyway. You know, we're going to... So we, you know, we would hang out with them. And they opened for us a, a few times okay, in the yeah. Ray Guns. And uh, we played a bunch of stuff. And, you know, we went from uh, Charlotte to New York. 
mm-hmm. to back and from Charlotte to Kansas City and back. Well, we played quite a bit. Like Charlotte to Ken- Kansas City, you would play it like you would leave from Charlotte to go play a city in Kansas City. A city in Kansas City? Would no, we would Charlotte leave. We would leave Kansas Charlotte city. to play Kansas City. I stumbled over my words. I see Alex's face. <laughs> Same deal in New York and things like that too, where you would go, like, go so many miles to play like one show, like no, nothing yeah, on the yeah, way yeah, up yeah, and things yeah, like yeah. that. And yeah. you wouldn't try booking stuff on the way back. It was just a one and done. Oh, it was a one and done. Wow, it was a one and done. <laughs> I was like, hey guys, I'm gonna be in Kansas City for this. You want to play a show? And they're like, fuck yeah. No, <laughs> what hell? Everybody would sign up. You know. I got to learn everybody's real name so I could book flights for them. And all that <laughs> shit. You know. So, when does bass wind up rolling into this? Because the same way you play guitar for them, and that was probably one of the last projects before what you're doing now with Tommy again with the Great well, Rollers. Well, actually, no. I oh, mean, okay. I ended up playing with uh, a gentleman named Derek Young, and I ended up playing in a band called the El Dorados. Okay. And before that, it was a Screaming Eldorados. Mm-hmm. It was one of those short-lived bands who played one show in Kings Mountain. Okay. And then uh, the guitar player, who knows what's going on, but he had to he had to quit the band. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we ended up with uh, Derek Young. Right. And he goes, I want to, he goes, I like old honky-tonk. Mm-hmm. And I started thinking about it, and I said, you know, I hadn't given much thought to that, but... If you were ever growing up as a kid, kind of in the 70s and early 80s, you became a fan of Hee Haw. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. And every, every, uh-huh. every, yeah. <laughs> or Clark and all that. That's right. And every band he brought up, I'm like, I've seen them mm-hmm. on that show. Yeah. And I was Dude. like, and just as a guitar player, I was like, yeah, I'm willing to do that. So I bought a Telecaster. Yeah. And started playing with him. And uh, we played, uh, we played a couple shows. I just remember our band, <laughs> the band main name was the Eldorados. Right. And we pulled up this place called the uh, Back Porch mm-hmm. in South Carolina. Okay. And it said the Eldorados band. I took a picture of it. I was like, okay, this is where we're at. <laughs> so we played this. And before we started playing, they gave us this whole speech of like, you see that light over there? If it dims, y'all got to turn down. All right. <laughs> All right. So we started playing, you know, and we weren't a loud band. Yeah. You are a honky-tonk <laughs> band, right? Yeah, we were a honky-tonk band. And we were playing like true honky-tonk, like uh, Buck Owens and the Buckaroos, yeah, that nice. kind of stuff. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, we stopped playing because we – God damn it. We play for an hour and a half. <laughs> we're like, we're going to take a break. Yeah. And uh, all of a sudden, the lady behind the bar goes, uh, y'all too loud. <laughs> and I said, are you fucking with me? <laughs> y'all see the light dim a little bit? No, no she never dimmed the light. And we finally <laughs> figured out what it was. She couldn't talk on her fucking phone. Oh, my God. Dude, no, no. <laughs> Without us being in the background. This is what happened with us, too. This is what yeah, happened with us sim- with similar things happened. Might as well not name the venue because no. uh, it's already 
brushed over and all said and done. But yeah, we were playing uh, a show where that day we had released a new single. Mm-hmm. So we were playing a show mm-hmm. and that was going to be the kickoff to like a little three day run we were going to yeah. do starting the promotion of a new album. Right. So we pull up that night and I even kind of kind of knew the sound guy. I'd met him a few times before enough yeah. to where we were like, on a, oh, hey, it's you basis. Right. And we're getting set up and just shit was not going right. He couldn't get the microphones to sound right. He just kept feeding back and it's not loud enough. Yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. I love that shit when they blame it on you. Mm-hmm. The problem and, was and the drummer hit too hard. Well, that's eventually what it came up to. He was like, yeah, um, we're, we're trying to get the levels right. You know, I've kind of got it, but you know, the, the manager saying, uh, the drums are just really loud. Can, can he not, not hit quite as hard? And we're like, you gotta be kidding me no and he's like well we'll just run it we'll just run it i was like okay so we run it and we get one and a half songs in like we had a little intro so that's like the half and then we get one song in and at the very end he's going like like making all these hand gestures of like oh god y'all are so loud and and like did something happen to where like they stopped it or like cut something something like that and the bartender's trying to trick take drink orders but at the same time there's barely anybody over there to take drink orders from and, in the first and that, place and yeah. not to pull this card yes there was no more than 10 people at the bar yeah but over half of those people were our friends so yeah, if yeah. anyone was buying something it's because we brought them there right again we did not have a big crowd i'm not saying book us and we bring people fuck no barely right. anyone was there but the people that were there were there for us. But I will give this venue credit for paying us still. <laughs> oh, well, because I said, you're still paying us for this. We got here. And they're like, okay. <laughs> I can't shit on this place too bad yeah, just be- because they still Oh, yeah. And, and like I said, we smoothed everything over after the fact, so there's no need to name drop. But no, still, though, we played one song, and they were just kind of saying it like the turn down and you got to quit kind of. Mm-hmm. They never directly say it. But you know the attitude and the the polite way of saying, and you know what's kind of kind of happened. So we just went. I walked up to the microphone, was like, "Yeah, um, I guess we're done. They don't want loud music here, I guess." Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the bullshit thing is, too, Dude. is in that single we released, no lie, a fictional lyric I wrote out was, um, uh, if uh. What, what something about uh pulling the plug on us yeah it's literally i have something in there talking about if we're being too loud and pulling the plug on right. us fuck off we're just gonna go do our thing anyway that was the single we released yep. that day and that was now, the song that got us pulled set the tone now, for the whole did weekend did you record that lyric or is that just one you play live it's recorded. It, 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 it was okay. written and recorded before that show it was just you write up fictional shit because for songs i know all the i time. know what the grave or Grave rollers, we have some fucking vicious look lyrics that only get played live. I know Tony has to put like disclaimers like in between songs and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, it's just, this is what you write about when you're talking when you're in between girlfriends and relationships well, I mean, and I yada mean, yada yada. I mean, guys, the alternate lyrics. guys, the truth is, is our uh, our drummer, his profession. It's your drummer's lyrics. That's he's right. a mortician. Yeah, Blame drummer your dr- for the grave rollers. Blame the yeah, drummer like drummer every other for the band. Gay, grave rollers. I'm sorry. <laughs> you almost say the gay rollers. <laughs> same thing. Anyway, uh, anyway, what are y'all I mean, doing down on Fourth and Vine? <laughs> I got, I got fourth a, and Vine standing on the story. street. That's not a grave rollers song originally. Really? No, I did not know that. Yeah, 
But anyway, uh, anyway, he he deals. I asked him when this whole COVID shit started going down. Yeah. I said, "Man, I said, how's this affecting you?" Because he works in. Um, he's a mortician. He's a mortician. Yes. I mean, technically, he has his mortician's license. Technically, he works as a, as an embalmer. Okay. But he started. He just said, "Man." Death and disease is my business. And yep. I said, I was like, fair enough. <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah. what are you going to say? I mean, that's that's what he deals with every day. Literally, yeah. But Fourth and Vine was actually a, uh, it was a Tommy Ray Guns song. Okay. Tommy and the Ray Guns. Mm-hmm. And we, uh, we recorded it on our first album, Jezebel's Jukebox, mm-hmm. which is out of print and sold out. Ooh. So, Fancy. Sounds like it's about time yeah. for a reprint, maybe. I doubt it. <laughs> anyway. Not that good. Oh, no, no. I mean, it was a good album. All right. Well, at least we release it digitally, then. I want to hear it at least. Slap no. That sh- slap that shit up on Spotify. Let's put it on the end of the episode. One of the tracks. <laughs> you guys are killing me. Anyway, uh, you know, I mean, it went through a couple reiterations, and, and the version you guys know uh-huh. is is nowhere near what the original was. Got it. So the lyrics are similar, but uh, when we recorded it with the Ray Guns, it was more of a, a little bit more of a poppy feel to it. Interesting. I mean, there were, there were, I mean, there was a portion in the middle that you would almost go, Oh, that's funny. Really? Yeah. Huh? Well, man, like I said, if you can dig that up, I'd love to put that at the end of this episode. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'll dig it up. Yeah, I'd love to have that at the end of this. And uh, so you you recorded guitar on that version then, right? Correct. All right, so I I feel this is actually an awesome fucking segue. Let's go ahead and Mm -hmm. talk about our favorite places to be and environments to be in as musicians. And it's going to be especially interesting coming from your angle Mm -hmm. because you've had experience on all three of these as a guitarist and a bassist. Right, right, right. So... Honestly, for me, my number one favorite is playing live, whether it be for bass or guitar. Not the setting up, right? right <laughs> not right, having right. to deal with the driving and all that, but it just walking out on stage and performing. That has well, to be my number one. I, I, I got to say, my favorite thing is the rehearsal. Okay. What are we uh, choosing from? Uh, rehearsal, performing, and what else? I'd say recording. Okay. Re- well... I put recording in a whole different basket. Me too. Because, you know, when you first record, uh, everybody gets to play, but they're only recording the drums. Yeah. You know, and the rest of us are just playing through headphones. I find recording to be tedious. Mm Mm-hmm. Because, well, just me being me. Right. I mean, I can miss a... You guys know what a passing note is, right? So a, a note between two major notes. Yeah. If I miss that note, I'm going to beat myself up. Dude. As the a, recording engineer may not hear it. Yeah. But I'm like, fuck it. We got to do it again. That's mm-hmm. how, that's my mindset as a bass player too. Like every little thing will keep me like, uh, not like people, everybody else in the studio will be like, all right, that's good. That's good enough. We're going to move on, right? I'll be like, I don't know. Let me hear it one more time, and I'll hear one little thing oh, yeah. the bass track that'll just fuck me up, like something I do with a kick drum or like something mm-hmm. I do with a drum part. They'll be like, no, nope, I got to do that one more time. Well, I actually, you wouldn't know it, but I actually do fall in line with you the same exact way. Right. 
But here's the difference. The situations in which we've been recording in, I've wanted to be very much a, okay, we're good, we're done, let's move on situation. Oh, so yeah, we can I'll, just be OCD, get it on. I'll be super OCD about it. Also, but I, th- with I think me, that also has to do with the engineer you're working with. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. uh, so, well, actually, let's let's pivot to that. Since you already said that kind of feels like its own thing, mm-hmm. I'll go ahead and list my three thinking on it. Live, mm-hmm. studio, and then practice. That's what we're going by with this conversation. Or that's at least my, my rankings for them. It's live, uh, recording, and then practice. Practice is my least, but recording, since you said that's a little separate, let's tackle that one first. Right. Okay. I like it because of exactly what you said, the meticulous thing. Right. I like to sit down and really listen to exactly what we've got and layer the guitar and listen to the tones and you know what? No, I want to play that. I need to play that chorus again, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah, but I got I got a feeling you're not the kind of musician who beats yourself up over things. I am, but for me personally, I don't like to step foot into the studio until I know I can do a one or two take situation oh absolutely I, i don't like going into the studio where i don't feel prepared and because of that I, that's why I feel like I knock my stuff out a lot quicker mm-hmm. because the like weeks leading up to it I'll just I'm just my guitar is always Dude, in my hand playing I, it. I love my drummer's statement uh John Marlowe yeah uh he's like if, if, if we don't get it in three we ain't getting it. Yeah. And, Period. And, and, I, and I never want to sound like a prima donna on, yeah. on that sort of stuff, being like, oh, well, I'm a one-take wonder kind of thing. It's like, no, if I'm not playing it good, I need to redo oh, yeah, it. Absolutely. But I take that precaution ahead of time to get myself to be a one-take wonder. That way we can just move the fuck mm-hmm. on. I think it's different when it's drums, bass, and rhythm guitar. Were it you, is. Were you ever a lead guitar player, Chris? I yeah I was for a little while but it's I diff- never recorded with it. Oh okay. I think it's kind of like a voice where like where you're or you're doing a vocal take. I think a lead guitar take, a solo take, mm-hmm. or uh-huh. like any lead instrument take is kind of similar to a uh, vocal take. Because I could I, definitely I, see myself taking a lot more time with my vocal takes than maybe my guitar take. Right. Maybe because I'm more confident on my guitar takes and yeah. like yeah. I've yeah, I've perfected my my quote unquote style. Even though I really it I always feel like I don't have a style until I play next to Mikey or play next two cap and then i go right, oh right, right, i right. kind of do have my own style I, mm-hmm. it just feels weird to think of that because that feels egocentric well it's because we've been like, a band well, it's because we've been a band for a minute and we know what the band sounds like yeah and but i guess it also just feels like guitar is such a basic thing of you know you have a set number of strings a set number of notes and you can yeah. play it all a certain way that it feels pretentious to say you have a style because in reality you're just emulating and implementing different things that you've learned other people's style if that makes any sense yeah no it does make sense and uh one of the things i used to when i the few times i ever gave guitar lessons Mm -hmm. i would start people with their right hand right i was like don't make a chord Mm -hmm. learn to strum yes learn to strum Mm -hmm. learn how to do this without uh without stopping yeah and just strum up and down Mm -hmm. and i'm a firm believer that your style comes from your right hand yes yeah i think that's where your voice as a musician comes from if if you're a lead guitar player or like a lead bass player like lead anything or oh yeah yeah. your your style comes from your right hand or you could plug your um tone you could plug your guitar into like somebody else's you could plug into like eddie van halen's rig oh yeah still sound like uh chris 
you yeah. would still oh, yeah, sound like yeah, Alex yeah, through an Eddie Van Halen rig. Yep, absolutely. absolutely. It all comes from the hands. And I think the quicker you know that, the easier time you have in the studio, too. Because yeah, that's when everything is under such a microscope that mm-hmm. if you're a super heavy hit or even as... Mikey had to overcome that. The first two records we recorded, right. he was having a hell of a time getting his solos done. He sounded great live, right. and he would play the exact same solo in the studio, and it was just coming through bad. Like It, it would Actually, be correct notes, but it would be bent wrong. Bit, yeah, Chris, it, uh, Chris brought this up earlier about like a whole like rhythm style, too, about how you would like heavily like pluck it up and down. Mm-hmm. Right. Mikey like, was a very... He would almost like bang his strings when he played, right. and it would... I and, had to tone that down on my end too on as bass a guitar recently. player or I, even on, on guitar playing i'd had to re- readjust everything just because of like stuff i was learning how to play yep exactly and i think that also came from exactly what you said at the very beginning of this episode you didn't worry about getting the expensive gear you're like okay i'm gonna get the hundred dollar guitar and the hundred dollar amp and i'm gonna make this work part of making it work is the harder you strum that fucking thing right, the, the more of an aggression Absolutely. you have yep. now as musicians, both of us have matured and we've got better gear. And now all of a sudden, we don't have to hit quite as fucking right. hard. Now we just turn up that fucking volume and then go, oh, okay. Now, exactly what Chris said. Right. It's all in this fucking right hand. Let's get the picking down. By the way, my name is Chris. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, sorry. <laughs> I, I swap between the two. Yeah, we'll pause. <laughs> take all a right. quick commercial break and we'll be we right back. Pause. We're going to take, take five. <laughs> Oh, 
thank you for listening. Please insert another coin by supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash somethinggoodnetwork.